You're listening to DK Mag Horror Entertainment News Podcast Online source for news Interviews and trending topics Good afternoon, good evening, good morning ladies and gentlemen This is Ken R2's founder DK Mag And you're listening to DK Mag Horror Entertainment News Podcast. This is Season 9, Episode 11. We have two exclusive interviews in this podcast. The first is with filmmaker Eric Pham of Fame Factory. We will be discussing his upcoming film, Flay, and also a very important topic of David versus Goliath, in which Sony tried to prevent his film, Mr. Pham's film, Flay, from being released because Sony had Slenderman as the sole ownership of this property. And by the powers that be, Eric Pham won that case. And we'll also be talking a little bit about that. Joining me for that interview is our new member of the DK Mag family, Kyle Lafreniere. He has been contributing with written form content on DK Mag as well as some articles on our digital edition publication issue one, one of which was the article on Sony trying to stop Flay, the movie Flay from being released. Once again, Eric Pham kicks off our exclusive interview. Joining me on this interview is our new member of our DK Mag family, Kyle Lafreniere. Also, we have an exclusive interview with Veronica Slobikoska. She stars in the upcoming horror comedy, What We Do in the Shadows, which made its debut this Wednesday on FX. Once again, our second interview for our exclusive interview segment is Veronica Slowikoska. We also will be talking about the trending news on movies, TV, and of course, our trailer first impressions. And without further ado, let's begin our entertainment news podcast season nine episode 11 you're listening to dk mag and i am your host ken r2s segment one movie news the dead don't die zombie comedy gets released date kicking off segment one movie news is the upcoming zombie horror comedy feature film titled The Dead Don't. The film is written and directed by a David Lynch doppelganger. His name is Jim Jarmusch. And this film is set to release in June of this year. Now, this is what's intriguing about the film. It has an all-star, we could call it an all-star with a mix of A-list and B-list movie actors and they include Bill Murray 
Adam Driver, Tilda Swinton, Chloe Savini, Steve Buscemi, Danny Glover, Caleb Laundry Jones, Rosie Perez, Iggy Pop, Sarah Driver, Riza, Selena Gomez, Carol Kane, and Tom White. And this is the third film for Jim Jamush with Focus Films, the studio that they have, according to the article, the highest grossing pick in since uh, what 2005 Broken Flowers starring Bill Murray which made 13.7 million dollars uh, that's a nice feat okay now it has an all-star cast uh, we have a director we have the writer he's gonna release in June what is this film about uh, well your guess is as good as mine because according to Deadline they jibber jabber around the cast and the credentials of the director Jim Jarmusch but there is nothing else on the film what's the plot about we don't know hop on over to INDB and guess what the plot is it says the plot is currently unknown nevertheless it has a release date for June 14th of this year okay so you have a film that's going to release soon you have an all-star cast you have your director is this what is used to market the film uh i don't see what how is this attractive i don't know but digging deeper onto the, the depths of the interwebs let's see what we could find on this upcoming film the dead don't die which, the fact of the matter, you shouldn't be digging anyway. There should be a trailer, there should be a plot, there should be film stills. Let's do a little digging. Let's see what we could find. Well, five minutes has passed since I went digging onto the interwebs for any information, any stills, any trailer, anything about this film, The Dead Don't Lie. And guess what? I, what guess what comes up? The same regurgitated content across the board of the cast and the director and the writer and a little bit about his credentials nothing more nothing less uh, I'm, I'm perplexed here you're marketing a film you have either the studio doesn't have faith in your product or you are so arrogant that you believe that cast just the names of the cast themselves is going to pull attention onto this film it, that is not the case if it's a good story-driven narrative if we need if we have great practical effects okay <clears throat> i'll even toss in good cgi if you have good cg put a trailer out put something out i feel there's a bit of uh, either a as i mentioned a bit of arrogance from the director or writer of this film thinking that okay he has this elite cast that doesn't merit anything else or b the studio doesn't have faith in this product they don't want nobody to see it until it is finally released i'm going with the latter i'm going with sure yeah you may have this all-star cast but there's no chemistry there's no story there's no plot there's nothing revolving around it and i've seen this before uh attending screenings here in new york city sometimes the studios would pull the screener 
from theaters so that way the reporters don't get a chance to weigh in their opinion on the film and the film releases on its scheduled date which would be a Friday. Screeners are usually released between Monday through Wednesday so that way reporters will get a chance to weigh in their opinion. I'm not interested in this film at all. The Dead Don't Die. I don't I don't care gear. I don't care who's in the film. All I want you got to create a zombie movie, a zombie film, comedy with comedy elements. There better be some story here. There there should be some context. Hey, you could even make it an animation. I don't care. Give the horror community what they want. We could give two fucks if it's Selena Gomez and the RZA or the Childish Gambino is on the film project. I don't care. I want story. I want substance. And uh, the dead don't die just for this cheap marketing tactic of not showing nothing, not even a still of the film. Yeah, I think I'll give this one a hard pass. What is your opinion? Genderbender Invisible Man in the Works. It is no surprise that Universal Studios is reimagining all of the Universal Monster Slate that includes The Mummy, which had a reboot back in 2007 and starred Tom Cruise. It was off to a disappointing start for Universal because The Mummy did not succeed as anticipated at the box office. The Wolfman, we have Frankenstein, we have Dracula, we have the Invisible Man, which is the topic of this dialogue here. There is rumors floating around that actress Elizabeth Moss may be cast as the gender bender for the role, the titular role, the, the Invisible Man, which in this case will be the Invisible Woman. Originally, there was discussion that Johnny Depp would portray this role. And if the rumor mill is on fire as it is right now, Elizabeth Moss may have very well replaced Johnny Depp. Of course, this is all rumor. There's nothing concrete, nothing solidified, not even a peep, a word, a confirmation, a press release stating that Elizabeth Moss will be the invisible woman or if the invisible man will be the next film to release from Universal Studios reimagined slate of films. Mind you, the whole point of reimagining all these universal monsters is to put them in collectively on one film, such as what Marvel did with the Avengers. You had Captain America uh, film solo, you had Iron Man's slate of films, you had Spider-Man, and then eventually all of them wound up in the Avengers film. That's what Universal wants with these characters, these monster characters. They want each of them to have their own film and then uh, put them all together. I don't know how that's going to work. They are not superheroes, so we got to have to wait and see. Nevertheless, Elizabeth Moss in an interview via BuzzFeed for the next episode of Profile via BuzzFeed 
Elizabeth Moss alluded any hints, anything, anything that had to do with the project, with her role, with anything of a gender bender, no hints were given. Once again, this is purely speculation, but let's see the what if scenario. Right now with the current landscape in film where we find women are more cast into stronger leading roles. We have Wonder Woman, we have Captain Marvel. I wouldn't be too surprised if Universal went the route of gender bender, not only for this character in Invisible Man as the Invisible Woman, but any character. Dracula, for instance, perhaps that could be a female. The Wolfman could be the Wolf Woman. We never know. We could go down the list of any other character. Look, take for example the mummy. The mummy had a gender bender role. Actor Boris Karloff portrayed the mummy, if I do recall. And in the 2017 remake, actress Sofia Butella portrayed the role of the mummy. So perhaps Universal, it may change all the characters in their slate and cast them all as women and the protagonist as men. Just flip it around. Gender bender. It's a great idea. Hey, they're cashing in most. You could tell when films are authentic and they portray women in a strong role just to portray them that way. Or you could see the instant cash grab and you could tell, wait a second, hmm, all these years you could have set the milestone, you could have led the lead and now that the landscape is focusing on women in film, you're deciding to do it that way as well. I mean, you come on, you could spot it a mile away if it's for profit or if it's genuine. Nevertheless, we're going to have to wait and see. As I had mentioned, this is purely, purely, purely rumor, speculation that actress Elizabeth Moth will be portraying the Invisible Man uh, slash Invisible Woman in the upcoming film. Yeah, Johnny Depp, uh, I would like to see him in this role, particularly... It's been a while since he hasn't done a horror film per se, and he has done suspense. He has done horror, but more quirky horror, uh, something more serious tone, the Invisible Man. Let's see and find out the, the options are out there for Universal. The Shed Production Details Wrapping up production and scheduled for a 2019 film festival release is The Shed. This film was produced in New York, upstate New York to be exact, and it was written and directed by Frank Sabatella. The Shed. Here's an overview of the plot. It tells the story of Stan, an orphan teenager stuck living with his abusive grandfather and tasked with routinely protecting his best friend from high school bullies. When Stan discovers a murderous creature has taken refuge inside the tool shed in his backyard, he tries to secretly battle the demon alone until his bullied friend discovers the creature 
and has a far more sinister plan in mind. Well, th as you can see from the plot, another horror film that delves in social political commentary, and in this case, it is on the surface about bullying. Of course, there could be underlying subplots, perhaps a broken family, abusive family. But nevertheless, this is a film looks like uh, we should keep an eye out for uh, once it makes its run in the film festival circuit. Here's what Frank Sabatella had to say regarding his film and of course the cast of the film that includes Timothy Bottoms, Frank Whaley, Siboa Fallon, JJ Warren, Cody Pastro, and Sophia Haponen. Here's what he had to say, quote, I'm really excited about our dynamic cast of veteran actors and incredibly talented fresh faces that bring an interesting dimension of realism to the film. It is a unique horror piece with great scares and awesome moments that I think audiences will really respond to. I can't wait to get it in front of them." Unquote. Peter Block the producer for the film The Shed had this to say, quote, Frank and I wanted to take a cool horror setup and use it to comment on current anti-bullying discussions as well as to use a horror creature as a metaphor for the extreme outcomes that occur when the bullied are pushed too far, unquote. Yeah, we see this all the time in horror cinema. The creatures, although ghastly, ghoulish, and sometimes gory, are they serve as metaphors to our current landscape. We could go into details with the zombies from George Romero, which is a popular example, all the way up to Jordan Peele's recent films. In fact, yeah, across the board, every creature has a metaphor. The Shed is no exception. And that's what makes horror cinema so outstanding, yet it doesn't get the spotlight that it deserves. I don't see any other aside from dramas, but of course that is a straightforward presentation. There is no other genre that really portrays social political commentary as the horror cinema platform. Uh, this film is interesting. The Shed, yes, it reminds me of this novel titled A God in the Shed, in which the, also a creature resides in a shed and is discovered by a group of teens. I guess the creature in the shed is a new concept now for horror. Uh, we had the basement, we had the attic, and the, what else? Uh, some haunted trinkets. And now we have a shed which is the home, the domicile of a wandering spirit. And in this case, a vampire. It doesn't take that long to analyze the cast on IMDb for The Shed to figure out that the antagonist in The Shed is a vampire. Yeah. I, I like this. I like the concept. I like the approach. I can't wait for stills and trailers to come out emerging for this film.
Exclusive interview. Eric Fahm. Filmmaker. Play. Look, I think someone tried to kill me tonight. There was a small burst of unexplainable sudden deaths, usually with people that either knew each other or were affiliated somehow. Well, okay. Okay, but the only problem is, is they weren't crimes. But they, they could have been. Well, we can only go off what we know, and none of them point to someone. This is Ken Artus, founder for DK Mag, and the following exclusive interview is a joint interview between myself and our new content contributor, Kyle. Thank you for having me on to uh, do the interview with you. So today we're going to be talking to uh, director uh, Eric Pham. We're going to be speaking about his movie Flay, which is a Slenderman-esque film. Uh, his lawsuit issues with uh, Sony regarding the film and the character, as well as his uh, history in the business and some future projects and a bit more as well. I noted how you elaborated on the Slender Man-esque uh, character, because of course, as we, uh, for those who have read the article, uh, Sony sued uh, Factory over the use of this character, which I find it to be it's like suing over the rights of Bigfoot. You can't own Bigfoot. He's just creative commons. Anybody can use this character. No, exactly. When you when somebody comes up with something on the internet and his entire story or her entire story, depending on the character, is drawn out through multiple sources, you can't really pinpoint a specific person. Maybe the creator of the original uh, piece, but that's pretty much it. I, that is absolutely correct. And of course, when all the legalities, even after the case is resolved, there is that NDA, non-disclosure uh, thing that he cannot spill the beans on too much details, but he gives us plenty of information about the case and about his troubles, especially as a film director. Because we, at the end of the day, the film, after you complete your film from the production floor, it's a product and then you want to make put this product out so that way you could make money to make your next film and the holdup would have been devastating no exactly like for for any ask any director creative if they aren't able to sell their piece their product their writing even they're they're at a standstill they, they'll basically have to start from uh, from scratch, go work a regular job, build up the money for what they're doing, and then start over again. And it's just, it's like you said, it's devastating. And imagine <clears throat> everyone who was involved on the project, if this film would not have been released, which of course it has happened. I do recall if the film eventually did release, but years later, it, uh, Robocop 3, it was when Orion Pictures went bankrupt. And that film sat in the can for years. I'm thinking about more than 10 years before it was released. And the actors themselves, is they're the ones suffering because they, they want to see their performance. And in this case, you had seen the film, Kyle. A lot of investment went into CGI and that stuff doesn't come cheap. No, it definitely doesn't come cheap. But when you have somebody such as um, 
uh, Eric Pham, who has a history of special effects and things like that, he, he definitely has uh, an edge over uh, the competition. He's got connections in the industry, things like that. He's got the personal experience to be able to do it himself if need be. Right. He, and, and that is some of the areas that he had elaborated in the interview, some of the topics that I had discussed. Uh, I, you had discussed the legal area, Kyle. I discussed with Eric the business part of filmmaking. And also, we invested heavily in the opening frame of the interview on his career, how his career developed as a CGI artist working for Robert Rodriguez and a couple of his films to now creating some of his films. It's a very intriguing evolution. And I always find in each interview to be inspiring in some way uh <clears throat> it's always about at the end of the day following your gut following your dream and that's what eric did and now he has his own production company i'm glad i'm i congratulate him on at least getting flay out I, that was a uh, david versus goliath type of battle there Oh, it definitely was something go, going against somebody like sony like a powerhouse like sony it's it's almost impossible I, I i don't i can't even recall anybody going through a scenario like this and coming out on top this is probably the first one that i've personally heard of at least in the the film industry yes and i've heard rumors here and there that there is some friction between amazon and independent horror filmmakers i don't i'm not quite sure what the landscape with that problem area is but we're seeing some news coming out of the front of big companies targeting uh, indie filmmakers. I'm not surprised. Is sometimes it may not get uh, news, headline news. Probably it's just a Twitter banter between a frustrated director or or directors. But this shouldn't be the case. It's all about art and the and in the end of the day, and this topic with Slenderman yeah it's that's a made a comparison with Bigfoot it's if it has a number of creators a number of writers behind it then it's open source you go for it no exactly and that's exactly what uh what uh, Mr. Fram did he went out there he, he did his film he took what he knew and to be honest with you in comparison to Sony Slenderman, his film is superior um, mm. in not only uh, character development as well as um, effects. And I have to say that the Sony Slenderman didn't have a backstory to the character. So it's just kind of like open concept. It's you need to know all this online origin story, which who's going to go out there and read all that really? But. Eric was able to, uh, in, in collaboration with uh, Matthew Daly, the writer, was able to come up with a good origin story to kind of build the character with. So definitely uh, props to him on that. Oh, uh, that's very good. That's very good. And that's what makes many of these Conjuring films so popular. It's the origin story of not the protagonist. I think it's the antagonist, the, the nun, Annabelle. All these characters have an origin story that... Uh, it really entices interest and it's pretty good eric for doing that as you had mentioned i'm i have yet to see the movie i know we have an interview here on dk mag written penned by you uh kyle you get you weighed in your 
unfiltered opinion on this uh, piece. No, absolutely I did. And uh, if anybody wants to check it out, uh, we've got a couple of pieces from me online. Uh, uh, sorry, <laughs> regarding the, uh, the the topic of Flay, as well as in uh, the DK Mag issue one, which we uh, go over the lawsuit. You definitely mm. need to check that out. Yes, yes. And without further ado, here is our interview. Kicking off the interview, uh, please, a little bit about yourself, an origin story, if you will, how you got your career in film production. I started in film production in a very roundabout way. I mean, I started out in visual effects. And I have 27 feature film credits, doing all types of visual effects work, compositing, visual effects supervising. Um, that's when I was living in LA. But I knew I wanted to go into film production filmmaking but visual effects just somehow uh easy route for me because i started out as an artist designer and so that was just an easy transition to learning visual effects uh software and doing just doing visual effects in general um after that spent in la i went to uh austin texas and worked for robert rodriguez since uh, spy kids 3 and that was a really really useful experience working with Robert. He's really a talented guy and you know, I learned a lot from him. And um, so in 2000, around 2006, after Grindhouse, that's when I started on my own. That's when I really decided, okay, it's time, you know, I've learned all I can in post-production, visual effects, everything behind the camera, I knew how to do. So it was time for me to finally venture out and be in the production class, meaning writing, directing, producing. And so uh, that's when I first started. And right now I'm working on my third feature and also a TV series. With the visual effects, one of the one of the topics that we always talk here on DK Mag is the visual effects, especially for horror. Uh, practical effects is, is always favored, but I, I find that if visual effects is used to pepper uh, practical effects i think that's that's a good way to go i think so and it really depends on the story you know like you said I mean, practical effects can be perfect for a lot of the horror genre needs but sometimes you know a little extra something a little creativity a little visual effects a little green screen goes a long way in terms of establishing a place and uh, just adding a little touches here and there. For example, Flay, I mean, Flay wasn't really a visual effects heavy film, but of course there was visual effects and it was useful that I can plan for the visual effects in advance in terms of when the script was being written, I knew exactly where I could do visual effects, have the most bang for the buck, you know? Right, right. And especially with the character Flay, which is like a Slender Man type-ish entity, Oh, we would definitely require some visual effects. In, in comparison, is not a zombie where practical effects would be the necessary route to go to create this character. Right, right. I mean, originally we did attempt to do practical effects in terms of his mask and his look. But, you know, just working in very high summer heat in Austin, Texas, the practical effects had unwanted side effects, meaning 
didn't work quite as well as we wanted. And so we ended up replacing everything with digital things for him, for oh. his case at least. Ah, well, that's an interesting tidbit right there. Uh, one film, it was a short film a couple of years back that released in the, in the film festivals. It was titled uh, Let's Play Dead Girl. And what I like about that one, they also used the Slender Man character there as well. And I, I enjoyed the use when they merged visual, practical effects with visual effects. You see the guy, the costume, but he, he'll have the tentacles, of course, his visual effects. I, I thought that was a creative route as opposed to other uh, incantations of, of the character before that. And for me, visual effects was really a means to be really creative in terms of establishing all the dream sequences in play. What were some of the obstacles and some of the learning points in getting this film from script to screen? Well, there's a few different obstacles. First, I mean, you know about our legal issues with Sony. I mean. I think, see, this is a hard one because knowing, knowing for a fact that Slenderman itself and this whole mythos of Slenderman was an internet created myth, we knew that not one entity can own this because you know it wasn't created by one person. But of course, you know, the chain of custody happens and someone does try to claim it as their own, and then it's only eventually have the right to that. So instead of dealing with a smaller entity, I was dealing with a large corporation, which had a lot more resources and a lot more time, and it caused a lot of trouble for us. So I wish that, uh, well, I'm not, I'm not really sure what we would have done knowing this would have happened in the first place, but you know, learn as you go. But that's only one issue. <laughs> the other things I really learned from doing Slay is, uh, like I said before, you know, learn a little self-discipline by cutting down the script a little before you shoot. We had, I think, we had a couple months of pre-production, but by the time we were ready for production, we had like, you know, two weeks. It always seems like such a rush, and so I guess, I mean, I keep telling others this, and I'm still learning from it, meaning development and pre-production, the more time you put in that, the easier, the more you can have everything you need at once during production. Always a, it's always such a pain when things don't go as planned, especially losing locations or losing different aspects of your production that you can't control. From the known reports regarding the lawsuit incident regarding Sony's attempt at silencing you and your film Flay, uh, we've heard that, or we've read that uh, Sony had sent you multiple cease and desist letters. Were these uh, issues brought to you th um, through the mere fact that the leading antagonist resembles Slenderman, or was there more to it than the likeness factor? It was pretty much the likeness factor. I mean, our storyline had nothing to do with the existing storyline of Slenderman. We had our own origin story, so it was really the likeness. And that's where the issue that we had was, you know, they they tried to, well, they did. They sent cease and desist to our distributors. And, of course, distributors, they get scared. They don't want to be dealing with any legal battles. So, first, they shut down. And so, multiple times. And so, you know, we had enough. We had to... Um, do this lawsuit to counter what they're trying to say, which is, you know, 
the big question is, who really owns Slenderman? And in my opinion, no one really owns it. I mean, it's created by multiple, multiple people. And you can do that through, you know, the history of your creation. So that was a big, big hurdle to get across is just to um, figure out who owns this Slenderman. And of course, this lawsuit, we never went through to its conclusion. But I'd rather uh, conclude it now than wait another couple of years of uh, you know, lawsuit time. Mm. <laughs> you know how things can stretch out. Oh, yeah. Believe me. <laughs> yeah. I've heard the horror stories. Uh, so basically, uh, Slenderman is a uh, um, public domain. In my opinion, yes, but of course, Sony, working with Mythology Entertainment, they claim, you know, that's their ownership, that's their IP. And that's where the big question is. I mean, who really owns it? Can you really own something that was created by more than one person? Because if you look back at the origin, there is one person who created the first drawing, first uh, image that you would say, uh, would be the origin of Slenderman, but you know, that image looking nothing like the image of Slenderman today. So you have to ask, okay, who contributes to the next image? Who contributes to the next story that creates this next story that creates this version that we see today? So that's, that's where the gray line is. Like, okay, can one person, one entity own this when it's collectively created by the collective? You know, yeah, because it's covered under um, uh, the creepy pauses online. Because throughout, uh, I'm not sure exactly when it started, but throughout the years, I've seen various stories and things like that. People talk about uh, this story, that story off of Reddit or 4 chant or what, whatever place that they're finding it from. But there's no official source. There's no official person who's like, okay, well, this is the story, this is the history, this is this character's origin, or anything of that nature. Right. Right. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the true issue right there. It's almost like saying, you know, I have the copyright to Santa Claus. <laughs> it's such a public figure <laughs> right. that you're trying to claim the name. Well, actually, according to trademark, name can be trademarked. So the name itself can be reserved to a certain party if they keep consistent the name for it. But I don't have an issue with that because they claim that they own that word, but they're claiming more. They're claiming they own that likeness of a faceless figure in a suit. I mean, so do you sue every department store that has a faceless mannequin with a suit? That's true. It gets very muddy because it's not a distinct characteristic that you can own. But of course, you know, that doesn't stop a big company like Sony to it is their legal right to protect their property but you know i have to ask well do you truly own, who truly owns it you say you do but do you truly own it and i think if we gone to our conclusion of our lawsuit which would have taken years i think i would have come out in my favor that says no one really owns it mm-hmm. but practicality aside i have to accept the fact that i, I cannot uh, wait another two years for this to finish and you know the settlement was good we get to move on and 
took us to actively do something to get this resolved. Otherwise, it, it wouldn't get resolved. And I'm sure there's been other Slenderman um, created movies that have been shut down. I'm sure I'm not the only one. I'm just the only one called that. But the good thing is, at least uh, David defeats Goliath in this scenario. <laughs> so to speak. I'm glad that uh, we're finally able to release this April 2nd via on iTunes and Amazon at first, and then be more widely distributed after that. We already have a foreign distributor um, trying to shop it around. We'll oh, that's great. Festival. I think we're going to have a screening there at Con Festival, too. Ah, that's that's great. Yeah. Oh, that's congratulations. Yeah, because yeah, you're definitely the first one that I heard of um, in, in this scenario, that, at least publicly. Um, regarding the character but in all facets of media video games movies tv series like all, all sorts of stuff even even people putting um youtube videos up like they they all use the character freely and i've never heard anybody getting shut down or having sony go after them or anybody going after them for that matter yeah. so so well, it, it, to me to me it's it's a little bit crazy that they would specifically go after you um but I'm going to assume that was because they had their movie coming out roughly around the same time, correct? <laughs> correct. We were coming out months before theirs. And uh, yeah, it kind of challenged their own opening date. I think that was the real reason why it got shut down. And with, with, with Flay, of course, uh, we have this Slenderman type character. Uh, I've seen the rise of this character and, and, and others as well rising from the creepypasta online uh, platform. And it, it really brings a smile to my face because I see a, a lot of original content really getting the spotlight as opposed to a few years back, we had the same regurgitated content with slashers. Here we have a whole different state of characters created by relatively regular average people. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the amazing thing about this whole mythos. It's not really created by one country. And there's a lot of really creative stories out there. And in that tradition, I mean, I realized that I didn't want to follow any origin story that existed. So we create our own origins for Flay in terms of how he came about. So that, that kind of sets us apart in terms of, uh, you know, the whole mythos. We're adding to the mythos instead of copying the mythos. Because if you look back in, in different traditions, even Japanese tradition, they had the Nobero bow, which is the faceless ghost. You know? And it goes back hundreds and hundreds of years ago before the whole Slenderman mythos was generated. You know, It was all based on other cultures in terms of faceless ghosts. Even the Native Americans had faceless dolls. And it's just not a... Uh, unique just to the U.S. It's found many different cultures. Right. And and it's good that you bring that up because uh, there are so many different, uh, yet yet untapped characters. And you mentioned Japanese, oh, yeah. and we have Latino community, we have even African creatures of folklore yeah. that has yet to be touched on in the horror industry. Right. There's no need to copy anyone else because they're just so rich of just true stories out there you can draw from supernatural tales that blend 
the psychological aspect. I think that's a very fine combination for the audience because the audience may say, is this person a little bit nutsy? Is this an actual haunting? Is it a little bit of both? I mean, it truly came from my childhood. When I was eight, I actually saw a ghost in my house. And the funny thing is, there was no face to it. You know, just this person in this white pajama looking outfit, but no face. I ran as fast as I can out of the room. But it still haunts me today that there's no face to it. Huh. You know? That That this is quite frightening. Still in uh, living in Vietnam, I was born in Vietnam, so there've been all the dead soldiers and ghosts that happens around there. That is not the first time I hear of a filmmaker, especially in the horror genre, that uh, creates a film based on real life uh, episodes, whether it be seeing a ghost or a sleep paralysis, which is in itself frightening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's what filmmakers should do. They should draw within their own stories and try to find something that expresses them. I think a lot of the problem right now with genre filmmakers is, yes, filmmaking is an art and a business, but sometimes if you, if you go purely just for the business, you're losing a little bit of yourself, of losing a little bit of self-discovery. Because we're all here to tell stories, our own stories, and how it reflects our own culture and past, you know? So you keep drawing and just doing it just purely to make money, to purely do horror for, for both fame or for the kicks of it, I don't think you'll get very far. Mm. That's an interesting what point. I'm trying to say is, what I'm trying to say is, you know, even if you're just doing purely horror, you eventually want to do more. Right. Come to you. So you might as well start with something that has a little bit of you already, you know? Don't wait till later that that is absolutely correct especially when uh well two things on that note that, that you have mentioned and let me touch on the first thing that popped into my head is uh what i hear most with filmmakers is of course they create their artistic vision on film whether it be a two three hour film and then eventually it would have to be condensed to 90 minutes in order for their artwork to be sold as a product, as a commodity for the general public. And that's where the line is blurred there with art versus you want to make a profit and it has to go into business realm. Yes, exactly, exactly. But then, you know, that could prevent it if you're a disciplined writer and keep your script short in the first place. <laughs> yeah. you, save a lot of, you save a lot of time and money if you could just edit yourself before you even start shooting. Right, right. And, and as we all know, those verse, well-versed in script writing, one page is one minute. One page does not mean one page. <laughs> yeah, yeah. With Flay, I think we ended up with 106 pages. That, that was our final shooting script. Huh, that's not that. Our final edited version is under 94 minutes. Huh, well, that's... Really chop, chop out a lot of scenes just for pacing and flow. Right, right. And especially when it goes onto so the I'm, editing I'm, floor. Yeah, I'm, I'm, speak, I'm speaking from experience. <laughs> I'm trying to tell others out there, edit <laughs> your script before you shoot. Right. In a lot of time, yeah. Right, right. 
most times I've heard also that the script undergoes tremendous changings during or changes in itself completely from the from the draft during filming and that in itself can be hectic especially as the actor they have to memorize certain lines and certain scenes yeah that happened to us too (laughs) (laughs) because you know when you're piecing things together and you're trying to be creative on the fly you have to adjust changes in schedule changes in location and to make things cohesive you, you do end up rewriting some parts Okay. But fortunately for us, it wasn't big rewrite. It was a small rewrite, you know, in certain parts. Did you did you watch uh, all the play? Uh, not not as of yet. We had reviewed the trailer. Of course, we covered the story in our digital edition uh, issue. I have not had the chance to have not gotten a, a screener. I have to recheck my email to see if we have the screener. I don't mind waiting until uh, the release date to uh, purchase it. Considering everything yeah. it went through, it's uh, it's worth that much, right? <laughs> <laughs> Precisely. <laughs> I do have I do have I do have a little trivia for anyone who watches the play. Oh, actually, right. in the film, accidentally, <laughs> so I'm there somewhere. We caught it during editing, but I said, you know, let's keep it. Let's see who catches it. So far. Not too many people have uh, caught it. I'm going to do a little contest. Whoever catches it, I'm going to give away some T-shirts when we start releasing. Because I'm curious to see how people pay attention enough to actually see this mistake that I made. I out for that then. Right. So you spot me, uh, some guy <laughs> that shouldn't be where he should where he's standing. Then he uh, free T-shirt. How's that? <laughs> We gotta keep our eyes peeled. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> In the independent film sector, there's that unexpectedness of what the day-to-day uh, production schedule would bring. We didn't have that much trouble, but it did come about, especially with injury. We were in the woods shooting our finale scene and our main actress, Ella Mon, she had uh, poison ivy. Even we... <laughs> we Cleared the ground multiple times. Yes. We had people walking barefoot just to make sure nothing was, you know, dangerous or allergic. But she ended up getting poison ivy. We had to take her to the ER that one day. But uh, things turned out all right. It was a great scene. She was a great sport about it. With this film now uh, releasing, what are some of the aspects, especially for hard connoisseurs, what 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 are the, some of the highlights that they would see in this film? I would tell everyone not to expect a slasher film. I mean, I really went to this creating this play movie purposely as a yes, a psychological thriller, not a horror. But you know, there's some aspects there's jump scares and frightful scenes, but it was never meant to be true horror. It was meant to be more of like a Hitchcock thriller, trying to find out the reason for this supernatural appearance. In my, in my opinion, that's what have made these Conjuring films, so the, this franchise so successful, is I don't see it as a horror film. I see it as a psychological thriller uh, entwined with the uh, supernatural elements. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, I think that's a good direction for people to go. Really. Because, you know, Europe, the European market, they've had enough of the 
flashes, gory films. So it's a good transition to go to go for more than psychological thriller. Plus, you know, one of my favorite filmmakers is Hitchcock. So I want to imbue, you know, some of that tension, the thrill of discovery, and not so much uh, you know, the shock value of the horror. With psychological thrillers, there's also the character-driven narrative, whether it be the protagonist or the antagonist, in this case, the titular character, Flay. Uh, we want to know who he is, what he is, what drives him, what's the whole uh, situation. Uh, I find that to be more... Pe- I, I would root for the antagonist in this case than the protagonist. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, me too. I mean, we're planning for Flay too, so that's in the works to really explain the story more because you do find out his origins and why he does what he does. There's more mystery to it. You know, we're going to explore just a little bit of it. Kyle and I were discussing, usually filmmakers go for the all-out trilogy. Is that also in, in the planning stages somewhere in the future? Yeah, I mean, I had planned in my head a trilogy, really delving into uh, play character more in the next one. So there's plans in the work for that. And it's good to think ahead because, you know, you're trying to develop this first movie, but also have the cohesiveness of the other second and third stories, too. What is in the works for for Fame Factory? you have any upcoming releases? Any other uh, creepypasta characters that you might want to delve into? few different projects in development and right now uh, I have a series of books by Matthew Hinsley called Tinder and Flint uh, developing to a series of features or perhaps a series for TV it's more of a fantasy Lord of the Rings type of uh, genre pretty good though it's really really exciting because uh, Matthew's done something a little different than just the classic you know Lord of the Rings genre. I'm excited to work on that. And then I'm also working on a TV series, a sci-fi TV series with uh, Cross Creek Pictures. That's very exciting. It's going to be my first true foray into TV, so I'm really looking forward to that. So this is a fun little question I like to, to ask uh, actors, directors, people like that who I speak to. So... Let's just say a billionaire approaches you and states that they love your work and they offer you unlimited money to make whatever film you want. It could be an original creation, a remake, a sequel. The sky's the limit. What film would you make and why? Uh, I would make a, a film about the Vietnam War based on my own experiences. Oh. Because I was born in Vietnam. You know, I didn't leave Vietnam until 1975. And so I still have memories of Vietnam. So the whole end of the Vietnam War is part of my family history. Like my mom worked for the U.S. ambassador, Martin Graham, and my aunt worked for like another Citibank American firm. And so when the war ended, we all had to uh, escape with our lives because anyone working with the U.S. government is considered a traitor. We'd be you know, jailed or killed. And so that's my departure from Vietnam. I think that would make a great story because it's it's part of our history that we don't really uh, are not comfortable reliving yet. I think it is right now. 
in over 40 years, you know, but the whole period of 50s, 60s, 70s to 75, there was a strong U.S. presence there. So there's a huge story to be told. And that's, that's what I'm going to tackle. I have a script ready for it. That, that, honestly, that's the most interesting answer I've ever gotten from anybody. I've, I've had people who've told me uh, remakes of uh, <laughs> Killer Clowns from Outer Space uh, to somebody wanting to remake Star Wars with Muppets. So, no, that was definitely something that I would put money down for myself. Right. Yeah, that's very yeah, close yeah. to the heart. <laughs> uh, well, have you guys have you guys seen the the last days of Big Mouth? No, I have not. I have seen not. It's, no. a, it's it's a documentary. I would totally recommend it because it's, it's very gripping. You know, I mean, it only covered really you know the last few days before U.S. pulled out Vietnam. It's just such a such a gripping story, and I was a part of that. You know, well, I'm writing it down right now because I definitely want to check that out. One final question, and that is uh, how I close off all the interviews uh, with an inspirational uh, uh, portion. Uh, what advice do you have uh, given with your origin story that you have provided in the beginning of the interview for other filmmakers who are pursuing a career in, let's say, visual effects uh, and filmmaking in general? Uh, there's two pieces of advice I'd give. One... You truly have to have focus because you know I meet people all the time that compare themselves to other filmmakers. I'm this age, look at this age, and he's already got that, and he's already done this. And it's truly focus. I mean, one person, you know, they have a day job, they do other things, they do things not related. So of course it's going to take longer than the other person who has true focus. That's all they think about. That's their one goal is to achieve being a filmmaker of some sort. And you get there faster with true focus. That's all it is. And my second piece of advice is, you know, as filmmakers, we have a responsibility in terms of the stories we tell. And to do that rightfully, you have to know yourself. And that's why I keep bringing up, you know, people in horror, whatever genre you're doing, if you don't put a little bit of yourself in the story, what's the point of doing it? You know, because filmmaking is truly the greatest art form there is. You're combining story, visual, music, everything all in one. And you do it right, you have a great little piece of entertainment and piece of art. Absolutely. So focus and get to know yourself and put yourself in your story. Yeah. Otherwise, you're just like everyone else. Right, right. Wow, that, that's impactful. I like that. Thank you so much for that. And and once again, congratulations on your victory versus Sony, the upcoming Flay release, and uh, all the best to your future endeavors. Thank you. Thank you so much, you guys. Segment 2. Television and Streaming the Walking Dead ratings continued to decline. The Walking Dead, although it is one of the most popular horror dramas on television, the series has undergone so much changes with its cast that it is affecting viewership. And that is my particular opinion. Of course, there are many other factors that are involved, including the showrunner 
a removal slash substitute. We have, of course, I mentioned the cast. Cast members have been removed from uh, The Walking Dead or have dropped out to pursue other careers. Whatever the case may be, whatever the bumps on the road are for The Walking Dead, it is affecting the ratings of the show. According to The Hollywood Reporter, in a report issued back in February, The Walking Dead had the lowest ratings since 2010. The episode in question averaged 4.54 million viewers and had a 1.7 rating in the 18 to 50 age demographic. This percentile drop was 12% and 15% of the viewers and the demographics since its mid-season premiere the previous week back in February. This, ha- this decline in ratings is not just an isolated incident. It's been occurring over the course of the past three or four seasons. In fact, the total viewership for The Walking Dead has dropped more than half. And it's taken its hard ratings fall with each and every season. The ratings for the age demographic between 18 to 50 year olds are down 40% in this season versus season 8. And in season 7, the decline is more than 60%. Of course, the article for The Hollywood Reporter is alluding to the fact that there were sports games there was the nba all-star that the walking dead had to compete up against but that does not exclude as an or serve as an excuse for the other series episodes or seasons that were or and continue to be affected by this extreme extreme ratings drop as i had opened up this segment with the walking dead it remains one of the popular series on television but a lot has changed from the cast and someone had joking say said jokingly that the walking dead when someone asks you what is your favorite character and you resort to the dog as the favorite character that goes to show you that the merits of the cast is not what it used to be. A few years back, someone would say Rick or someone would say Shane or Maggie or whatever the case, but none of these characters are consistent or have since left. A lot has changed. I myself have stopped watching The Walking Dead and my reason was being was a few seasons back that idiotic cliffhanger in which Negan was selecting his victim. That whole episode, if you watch it, it's basically the group of survivors driving around in circles driving around literally in circles 
to avoid capture, which of course they got captured anyway, and the season finale ends on a cliffhanger. And in my opinion, that cliffhanger was served more as a hook, a lure. Just like if you, I use the metaphor or the reference, if you're going fishing and you put the uh, worm on the hook, well, that's how I felt the producers treated their viewership as fish, as teasing them. Okay, we all know Dynasty, I believe Dynasty had Who Shot JR, and of course, these other series do have cliffhangers, but none was as so. It didn't have any impact whatsoever than that particular season. And I myself took it upon myself to read all the graphic novel episodes. So that way I would save myself the agony of watching The Walking Dead again. Other persons have voiced their own complaints in regards to the showrunners being removed or a cast member being removed or some other thing happening behind the scenes for the series. The series, in my opinion, has become, has evolved faster than it should and it became a quick cash grab, let's say. The focus on content or uh, relevancy to the graphic novel I don't know it just took on its own life and it did so too quickly and everybody wanted to dip their hands into this project because they knew that there was money to be made on, on this project this is a huge project high ratings but of course let's see what's going to happen here's my prediction and I made this prediction with the walking well actually Stacy Cox my co-host made this prediction with American Horror Story about the theme of the apocalypse. He kept repeating it, repeating it, and of course it occurred. Of course, we won't get any credit for that. But here's my prediction. The Walking Dead will not, will not surpass three seasons. It would not. If it comes close to three seasons, I'll be surprised. But it would not past three seasons i think the nail on is being hammered into the coffin and this zombie series would not be resurrected at all i'm thinking of ending things cast developments the upcoming film for netflix titled i'm thinking of ending things is based on a novel released in june 14 2016 penned by ian reed Jake, a man going on a road trip to meet his parents on their secluded farm with his girlfriend who is thinking of terminating their relationship when Jake makes an unexpected detour leaving her stranded. A twisted mix of palpable tension, psychological frailty and sheer terror ensues. The cast have been are con right now is being developed. Uh, Tony Collette, JC Buckley, and David Theos are joining the cast, penning and directing this film will be Charlie Kaufman. Also, actor Jesse Clemens stars as the role of 
Jake. No word yet on the release date for this upcoming film or any trailers or stills are being released at this moment. This is currently right now. It is getting into production. Uh, we should foresee more news of this production in the upcoming months. And with the production now in play, we would I would say this project will release on Netflix, let's say uh, first quarter 2020. With the plot, it seems generic in a way, but I would I would have to see the trailers and or the film itself to get a f how the whole context of it comes into play. But it seems to follow the same play-by-play -play book of secluded in the woods creature or some sort of psychological terror thriller terrorizing the inhabitants uh, the sense of isolation so on and so forth etc etc we have seen this many times before in horror cinema we could uh, relate so many different parallels uh, cabin in the woods or evil dead yeah we have seen it so many times Let's see what makes this concept stand out apart from the pact. Once again, I'm thinking of ending things based on the novel written by Canadian writer Ian Reid, which released in 2016. Well, I would have to commend that at least source material as of late recently have been focused on novels or original works uh, from that you could find on the internet from creepypasta all the way to uh, platforms where authors are getting recognized for their work and their prestigious contributions to horror cinema through their writing so with that said uh, I'm looking forward to this film I want to see what this is all about Exclusive interview. Veronica Slowakoska. Actress. What we do in the shadows. Our next interview segment features comedian Veronica Slowakoska. You could catch her in the upcoming horror comedy What We Do in the Shadows, to which this series is based on the 2014 film of the same name. And Veronica portrays the role of Shanice a nerdy and awkward roommate of Jenna. The series airs on FX on the 27th of March, 2019. Veronika Slojkowska is a comedian, as I had mentioned. She is part of the Bad Dog Theater featured players, and the theater company specializes in the art of unscripted comedy and improvised performances and provides improv training for thousands of people of all ages and experiences. In this interview, we'll be discussing her maturing career as well as comedy and her role in the upcoming horror comedy series, What We Do in the Shadows. Without further ado, it's a great pleasure to introduce Veronika Slowikoska. Once again, uh, thank you, Veronica, for your time, for this interview opportunity and discussing uh, your advancements in 
the performing arts and your upcoming role in this uh, much anticipated horror comedy, What We Do in the Shadows. Wow, thank you so much. It's been it's been a great year for me for sure. Oh, that's great to hear, especially when it comes to those advancing in the performing arts. It it could be a little stressful trying to get to secure the role or whatever the case may be. Absolutely. Uh, a little bit about yourself. Uh, for those who are unfamiliar with your work and what have you accomplished uh, and what brought you into jumping into the performing arts? Um, yeah, so I'm, I guess, now uh, a actor, creator, comedian, improviser. <laughs> um, yeah, I, th- I started off acting, doing community theater in a small town in, in Ontario, uh, Ontario, Canada. And, uh, and then, I don't know, I was always shy as a kid. So, so theater was kind of my escape and how I expressed myself. And then I've always had like a, always had a bit of a funny bone and continued with that. And then the last kind of two to three years, I've been very much into sketch comedy and improv. And I do a ton of that in Toronto. Uh, and yeah, and then I've been writing my own web series and, performing five to six nights a week in Toronto. So yeah. And then I also went to musical theater school, um, did a bunch of live, live stuff and then slowly transitioned into film and film is kind of where, where I'd like to be, but I I love performing live as well. You mentioned improv and that's how this interview is structured. No, no questions whatsoever. And everything is just off the cuff, unscripted. So you're going to feel more than welcome here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yes. Sometimes I get a bit nervous because there's no character, just me. So that's a bit uh, vulnerable at times. Well, that's funny. That's not the first time I've heard that. I've heard from uh, other uh, actors, especially for mainstream Hollywood, that they are timid when it com- when the camera is off, but on camera... They'll be shooting guns, jumping through windows. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely a, a, a shyer person naturally, but I don't know. <laughs> I just have this, this urge for, for performing and, and, make, and playing pretend in, in a weird way and, and telling stories. So, yeah, you just kind of put that part of yourself aside. and But then I guess you kind of need to recharge as a person so you're more... Timid, I guess. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's me. <laughs> you mentioned in your origin story that you're creating your own content. I, I find that this that's the new way for actors, producers, writers, etc., etc., to really showcase their talent is just using YouTube and Facebook and Instagram to create this content. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not like... All I have is Instagram based off of, uh, of, and I guess our YouTube page and our a little Facebook page that uh, my friends and I created. But I'm I'm so, you know, I'm, I'm a younger person for sure. But tackling all of that and having an online persona is very overwhelming. And you want to be genuine and you want to um, present yourself as as you, but also kind of I don't know. I feel weird, like posting photos and stuff. I just, I just got my first kind of red carpet photos uh, from from the premiere the other the other night. So, and now I'm posting a bunch of them and 
you know, it feels vain in a, in a way, but you're like, oh, this is my, this is my career. So, and I should be posting these kind of things it's, in a way. It's like a resume for people who don't know me. Right, right. Yeah. I just finished having a, a very interesting conversation about that because uh, some persons on Facebook uh, most uh, showcase the lavish lifestyle, which is completely false. But yet for those who are, you know, advancing in the career, I, I think, yeah, a red carpet photo shoot on Instagram does not hurt. As a matter of fact, it's inspiring, especially uh, for those who are just coming up and they see pictures like that and like, wow, if he or she could do it, I, I could do it too. Absolutely. And those are my friends, you know, a lot of us are, uh, are still very much struggling. So um, in, in the Toronto comedy community, this has been just, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people have been asking me questions and stuff and, you know, it's, it's all possible. You just have to be ready for when the opportunity comes and you have to be right for the for the role and yeah yeah absolutely but also on instagram and all that kind of stuff you want to i post a lot of like weird funny stuff as well that's kind of you know no makeup and doing weird characters as well so she shows that i'm sort of a normal person as well <laughs> in my opinion i do enjoy horror and thriller and of course uh, action films uh but i think in my opinion Comedy is more complex because you the timing has to be right, the delivery has to be right, everything just has to be and that chemistry between especially live between the performer and the audience is uh I find it to be quite challenging. Uh, me myself, I am not a good uh comic. My wife says my my, my type of comedy is sarcasm. <laughs> yes, yes. No, you're totally, totally right. It's not something you could learn. I think you're born with um, timing. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? That that kind of, it's, it's, it has to come naturally and almost effortlessly because I can't, I can't explain how, how we do it, but we do it. Um, but also just being, you know, comedians are very smart people. They're super cultured and, and up to date on things. And, and yeah, so you can kind of reference jokes but also they're they're also just the silliest people at the same time so yeah but i agree with you comedy is is much more than i think people give it credit for uh people think it's just kind of dumb thing but but a lot of comedy masks some serious yes interesting layered people so yeah right and as i had mentioned uh most comics are up to date with the with the current events and much like horror is that we delve onto social political commentary. So does comedy in a way. Because I find myself watching a comedy show on TV when I have time, which is rare. And I say, what? This guy will go, wow, that's that's correct. I mean, everybody's cracking up at the seams, but what, they, what they're saying on the mic is absolutely true. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of... Uh, comedy in a weird way is, is, you know, a mirror to society, but kind of in a lighter hearted way. <laughs> Such an obvious question, but I am sure there must be a, a, a process or probably a funny story behind it. How did you get on board the project? Uh, what we do in the shadows? So they happened. So it's from New Zealand. That's where the original film was, was created and filmed. Um, mm-hmm which I was an absolute huge, massive fan of. Um, <laughs> it's 
hilarious if anyone has not seen it. Uh, it's so good. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, I've been acting kind of professionally, like with an agency and all that kind of stuff for about four years, um, which was a process to get to already. Right. And then, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of a, a weird, unique girl, a little bit quirky and nerdy. So roles for me aren't, aren't that they don't come along that often. <laughs> so um, when, I, when I saw this, I was like, man, this is perfect. Like, I know exactly, exactly what to do. I know, I know the, the tone, the mockumentary style. Like, I'm so ready for this. So even just auditioning, I was telling everyone, I was like, guys, like, this is, <laughs> this is the coolest thing ever. Like, I didn't, I didn't even think about getting it at all. And then um, obviously had a little bit of a like, well, you know, that'd be the most amazing thing ever. But uh, I've, I've auditioned for probably thousands of things that I have not gotten. So, um, yeah. And then I just went in. I auditioned uh, for a casting director and she let me improvise a lot and say the weirdest things. We did a whole scene that was completely unscripted. So that was just a dream come true. And I was like, oh, my gosh, that was so much fun. And then. Uh, yeah, it was one audition. And then I found out, I think two or three weeks later and just was in a cafe, um, I was producing a, an improv show in the city and I was working with a friend and just got the call and absolutely like, just bawled my eyes out because I was like, <laughs> holy crap, like when we with like work with my idols, like this is the, out of all the projects that I've auditioned for in my life this was the one that I wanted and it was just strange how you know it's yes it's luck but it's also being ready for an opportunity like that the luck was that they were filming in Toronto and that I had the opportunity to audition but I was also you know my skill set and me um I think they had someone else in mind at the beginning but but just really owning that and, and having the right skills was was my preparation. So yeah, that was kind of that was kind of it. And it was a one audition kind of kind of deal and and, uh, and then I was on and then the next day after the call I was at a table read with people I look up to and have you know, celebrities in, in my eyes and people that I was like, Holy you were I've been watching you for forever so right that was uh, a dream come true yeah oh, con- oh congratulations first of all before i proceed congratulations on that that's that's a, that's a very inspiring story in itself right there <laughs> oh thank you thanks so much yeah <laughs> before i jump into your character you mentioned skill set and and uh one thing I do remember from a, a previous interview a couple of weeks back is the uh the actor here mentioned also about having a sharpened skill set and that would lead to uh bigger roles and how to sharpen those skill sets is uh getting parts in commercials or doing voiceovers uh do you yourself find that to be such an important well uh, i think you're a walking testament right now since you're on the on the show (laughs) (laughs) absolutely yeah i mean i wasn't originally going into comedy i was very much like, you know, a more serious kind of teen actor. And then I auditioned for the Second City Conservatory and that's when it propelled me into comedy. And I was doing that just to expand my skill set and to, oh, okay. yeah, exactly. To, to be ready for 
just make myself more uh, available to to other roles so that I am not just comedy I'm drama as well and and yeah voiceovers as well I've been totally into and um and for this especially it's improv like they right. wanted I don't know if they wanted improvisers but you needed to be able to improvise you needed to be able to to go off script and make up your own jokes which you know a lot of actors I don't I don't I don't know if they have but uh it's definitely a skill worth worth learning you could see when it's improv and it's not word for word from the script the emotional content Oh, and context of the monologue or dialogue uh, behind it all. It, it, at a glance, or if you're just sitting in the audience, it it just comes out more natural. Exactly, and I think that's why they they let us kind of go go into that was because it is a mockumentary style, which is you know mocking documentaries. <laughs> so these are breaking the fourth wall and. It's supposed to be the camera just happens to be there uh, in somebody's life. So I think, you know, obviously there was a script that's hilarious. And we we definitely went off the script as well and and did a bunch of takes with the script. And then kind of, you know, they let the camera roll for another five minutes or whatever after the script was done just to see what we would do. So, but yes, I think um, the improvisation definitely helps the mockumentary style. And the character that you portray, her name is uh, Shanice, according to the press release, described as a nerdy, awkward roommate. Uh, what what can you tell us about this character? I know there's not so much information about NDAs and everything, but on the surface, uh, what is it about this character that you find intriguing? Yeah, so she's a total a total nerd, um, which. I am too. So that was kind of the first, <laughs> the first thing where I was like, Oh, this is, you know, she's close to my age, uh, nerdy, uh, like, you know, it, I don't know if she cares about her, her appearance too much, but, um, so that was kind of, kind of different. Um, yeah, I wore these like huge glasses and it was, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun, but yeah, she was a bit sassy and, uh, awkward you know, hard to make eye contact and ah, just kind of okay. taking that part of myself and, and, and uh, making it even bigger was just so fun. And I, I really love the kind of the awkward style and um, someone being just so insecure. <laughs> um, was, yeah, it was just, just kind of easy for me to, to go into, but just a ton of fun, like really, really fun to play. Yeah. And, of course, uh, the the series is based off of the film released in 2014. With when I saw it for the first time, I I I came in the theater. It was a screening, and I, it was totally unexpected. I thought it was going to be oh, okay, but I have not laughed so much. And it's that uh, level of the comedic level. It's borderline sarcasm, and it's just, it's such a pun in itself, especially with the the theme of vampires how much is it, it it has evolved from these creatures of the night to these sparkling guys in in twilight and now you have them as roommates it's hilarious oh my gosh yeah it's 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 such a funny show but at the core of it it's about roommates that happen to be vampires so yeah and then just the vampire aspect i think gives you this whole other level 
but people relate to it because it's just about roommates. <laughs> the problems of roommates, especially different, and that's that's what I see in the in the film, and also I'm, I know I'm gonna expect it in the TV series. Is the commentary, the social commentary of people from different cultures and backgrounds, if they're living together in the same apartment or house, there's going to be that uh, friction because we have to share uh, living quarters with someone who, let's say, is from a different country and don't are unaccustomed to the customs here in America. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um even, you know, me living, I mean, I, I grew up in a European household. My parents are immigrants from Poland mm-hmm. and, um, and living with kind of more Canadian people was a bit different cleanliness and, and what we eat. Like it's all, yeah, but it's, it's, it's a great thing, I think, but it's, it's hard living with people <laughs> still living with roommates, two roommates. <laughs> Uh, I'm, not, I'm trying to avoid using the word cliche, but uh, yeah, that, that definitely falls into the category. You live in a place and try to get yeah. that role, uh, working as a waiter, uh, most instances. <laughs> of course. Absolutely. I worked as a waiter for many years. And then, you know, I, I, I'm lucky enough where I haven't had a Joe job in about a year and a half, but I, I'm still doing the odd job here and there. And very, I might go back to waitressing soon if, if I don't get something else like that's that's what we sign up for it's a cliche but it's also very true jumping off the topic of roommates also what else another thing that comes into play is the cooking uh and uh one culture may have uh, very pungent uh meals I mean it tastes great but the the spell just ranked the whole house and I find it to be hilarious uh I want to see if that is portrayed in this TV series. I think it was portrayed in the film. Uh, yeah, the spaghetti scene, but I don't think it was a pungent meal. Yeah, yeah. Well, they all kind of eat similar things, blood, human blood. Right. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, so I think, like, um, yeah, yeah, I think there'll be a, a lot of jokes about that and, you know, leftovers and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, just roommate stuff. Oh, <laughs> uh, And your portrait of uh, Shanice in the series is that going to be a recurring role because I see an IMDB that's only listed twice uh yes I am in three episodes uh she's a reoccurring role so yeah I'm in uh episode two three and ten uh well I'm gonna have it on the DVR anyway I'm, I'm looking forward to it uh, uh I enjoyed the film my wife she was like Really, you're laughing to this. She didn't get the jokes, but I always make fun of her. I said, "Yeah, your 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 favorite show is going to be starting soon." She just gives me that look. She wants to kill me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm so excited for it as well. Even if I wasn't even on it, I'm I'm so excited for it. I got to see two episodes at the premiere, so that was so. I know that it's it's good. It's it's they very much captured the the tone of the original and. It's it's very funny. You won't be let down. All right. And most of the times, I'm not an advocate for feature films translating over to television because the the track record is, is not so good. We had cancellations of The Exorcist, Minority Report, Bates Motel. So 
I'm hoping uh, this in this particular instance that would not be the case, and we could see this going on into season twelve, perhaps. Yeah, well, well, my dream and the way I see it going is kind of, well, you know, the the office, how it was uh, in Britain originally, and hilarious, so funny, and then translated into kind of uh, a, a bigger audience, I guess, by, by going American, which is, you know, fine, totally fine. But uh, as long as you still have those, those core people, I think um, it could totally be totally be done um that's that's how i see it going is kind of turning into the next office i hope right right and this that aesthetic of uh, right now it adapts to our current landscape that everyone is into well not everyone that's generalizing but uh most audiences are into reality shows uh, that's major popular on tv and having a mockumentary style TV show does cater to those type of audiences. Yes, yes, absolutely. So I can't even remember what the well, there was um what was it American Vandal that was kind of the, the latest, uh, which was on Netflix. It had two seasons, um, and it was also mock- mockumentary kind of style. But but yeah, it's super trendy right now, and you know, crime docs and all that kind of stuff. Right. And jumping off from your role, once again, congratulations on that and what we do in the shadows. Uh, what other projects do you have in the works uh, that you can share? And just reading off of your uh, your your bio here on, on the press release, you are part of Bad Dog Theater's featured players. Uh, I find that to be quite intriguing, training others uh the inner workings of improv? Yeah, thank you, thank you. Um, yeah, so Bad Dog is a uh, fully, um, it's a theater here in Toronto that is um, uh, improvised theater, so nothing is scripted. And yeah, I, I'm, I'm lucky enough to be part of their their cast this year as, as a featured player, so uh, I'm there all the time, basically living there and performing. Um, every Saturday we have a show and and so you just kind of make stuff up as you go. And that's, that's the great part is that we, we never know what we're going to do. And uh, we have a great cast this year and yeah, it's, it's, it's great. It's kind of like being on a, on a team. We rehearse and, and learn different formats and then uh, make things up as we go. <laughs> yeah. Is uh, Okay. So this will be something considered, let's say, off off Broadway, that that's that's the type of uh, um, medium this would be in Toronto. Uh, yeah, even you know, I don't even I, I, I want to say even off Broadway. It's it's pretty high up here in Toronto. It's 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 that in Second City, and um, and those are the only two improv places in, in Toronto. Uh, you know, I ask because there is a. There's a market for this uh, here in New York. The there are off Broadway or off off Broadway that are improv. Uh, I one was science fiction, which totally blew my mind. It was a science fiction musical. So I, I see that there is a whole market for this. Uh, audiences want to see 
nothing scripted uh everything coming with emotional context be it comedy or action or drama yeah absolutely i was just in in new york and i saw a, a ucb show so that was really great upright citizens brigade and right. uh yeah i mean people either think it's lazy <laughs> or they think it's so impressive because it's kind of like a sport where there are um boundaries and there are rules but every rule can be broken and you can and it's it's for me it's great because you're present you are fully involved with the other person you're you're not thinking about your lines you're listening to what they have to say and exactly taking emotional um taking emotions and 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 stakes and doing it all all on the spot and and it kind of becoming this like magical thing is what what I love about it. Mm. And what what do you see uh, one area that is kind of iffy? Uh, most would uh, would shy from it. Others uh, embrace it, and that is the the long term goals. Uh, do you embrace such a thing, such a concept? And if so, what do you see yourself doing in a, let's say five years from now? Um, just in general or in the improv kind of world? In general, in general. In general. Wow. Great question. Um, <laughs> working. That's, 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 <laughs> that's important. <laughs> Making enough money to live and eat that, um, like mainly off of, uh, off of acting and creating. That would be the goal. Um, right. After long-term goals, I, I hope... I hope to, yeah, I, I, I really do hope to make my own kind of lo-fi web series that has a bit of a following. That That's something I actually wrote and created. That would be one of my goals. Um, I hope to eventually move to the, to America, I hope. <laughs> just, just with, I love Canada so much, but um, yeah, I think, I think I want to live in the States for a while and do some training there um, and, and see how, I've definitely noticed the difference in, in Canadians, how polite we are and how Americans, you know, they go for they what, what they want. And I, I'd love to learn <laughs> how to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, what else? Just basically um, making enough money to live and eat off of being an artist. That would, that would be my, my long-term goal. Right, right. Yeah. You touched on some very important topics there uh creating your own content and and also uh surviving off of uh the art uh i find that to be you have to be best at both things you have to be business savvy and you also have to be the artiste and also market your own uh creations because in this day and age that's where everything is going music wise film wise you have soundcloud you have all these platforms to uh, release music and release film. So, uh, the sky's the limit uh, with those type of aspects. Yeah, with the internet, it's it's insane. Anybody can become famous, quote unquote, for for fifteen minutes. It's it's about, but for me especially, seeing these people, knowing these people that have had viral videos or or you know a song that 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 was great for for a few minutes um it's about having a lasting career and right. that's why i want to make my own stuff is because 
like Broad City and, you know, other Detroiters, other shows that I, I really love and look up to, these are comedians and very smart people that, I don't know, are, aren't the Hollywood cutout, but they made themselves that. And they're their own bosses, which is incredible that that's, I think that's where it is, where you get to have creative control. And like Jermaine, who is my director and the creator of the show, he's, yeah, it's it's super inspiring seeing people take their own things and having a lasting career and not having someone else tell them what to do. Right, yes. that That is uh, breaking the shackles of, of being or, or being suppressed uh, because you know what you want, you know what, what direction to take it. And it, when you have that full control and that freedom, that is so good. Of course, there will be some days you have peanut butter and jelly sandwiches instead of a, a full course meal. But I, that, I think that all comes <laughs> with the daily struggle. That's what makes things so interesting. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, the struggle is, uh, is what's keeping me humble, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and getting those stories that this is the most interesting time of my life, this transitional phase. And it's only going to it's only the beginning for it all so absolutely i'm taking those those sad nights and 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 using them as fuel and and remembering that that we're all just people <laughs> we're all just trying to do this <laughs> exactly and with every let's say uh, comic book or action film more from marvel to dc uh, i think what we do in shadows also falls into that uh quote unquote geek dumb uh category and seeing that's maybe the case uh and your character would be on the spotlight uh soon enough uh what what type of sentiment would that be when you let's say have that popularity you go to a comic-con and everybody recognizes you and your character yeah the uh, the cast already went to comic-con i think um Mm -hmm. earlier this this year or last year and and they they released up the pilot there and just talking to them and and knowing uh that they have such diehard fans yeah geeking over things is 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 a great thing as it's it's amazing it's it's you know it kind of gives you a purpose and and just loving something so much is is a is a, a great thing um, yeah, I can't even, I, don't, I have no idea. I, I never <laughs> thought about this, that kind of, the kind of, you know, the, the math of that. Um, I have no idea, but I'm sure it'll be overwhelming, but also incredible at the same time that people love it so much. That's all I want is for people to, to really love the show. Absolutely. It, it'll be, it'll be weird. And at the same time, I think it'll be exciting you may see you because everyone is cosplaying somebody these days. Uh, someone cosplaying your character. You're like, oh, okay. <laughs> Walking down the hall and <laughs> yeah. they ask you for a photograph. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It'll be weird, but also the coolest thing ever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to close out the the interview, uh, one final question that I'd like to infuse into the interviews is that in the uh the advice part uh the motivational part uh what advice is so far from based on your progression in your career will you give others 
Wow, that's a great question again. Um, <laughs> the advice that, yeah, it's, it's huge. I, I mean, I'm still figuring it out. I'm very much from a 23 year old <laughs> starving artist. So, <laughs> not so much starving, but, but have been. Uh, right, might right. be later. Um, but uh, yes, yes, it's, I've gotten a lot of advice. I am, one of the, my favorite pieces of advice was uh, You Are Enough. And that was, uh, one of my acting teachers at, at school and basically, you know, you stop trying to change yourself and just be just, right. just let it happen. Right. Another piece of advice was make your own stuff, stop waiting, work hard and, and, um, do things yourself. That was my kind of, that, that was the thing I think that, that really changed my career so far was I stopped waiting and I just went for things. I stopped waiting for auditions. I still went out for auditions, but um, I had my own things going. So the second you take off the pressure of landing something, you'll get it because you have other things going for yourself. Start, right. yeah, exactly. start watching movies, start watching every TV show. That's and be a nice person. I think that's that's a big thing too. Is be nice, say yes to everything, because you never know where where that'll take you. And yeah, that's kind of it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, you make a great points across the board, and it touches on what we have d discussed earlier. You make your own content. We we have the platforms disposable. We live in a good times. We have everything for free. Hopefully, it will stay that way, and we could create our own stuff. Exactly. Exactly. There's no reason for you not to. So, yeah, just post your weird stuff that you make. That that's that's what it is, and then you know, be genuine and. Do it for the right reasons. Thank you so much for your time, Veronica. Once again, uh, congratulations. Looking, I'm looking forward to this film. As I mentioned, uh, I have it on record on the DVR for some strange reason. I may not watch it once it airs. It's going to be recorded and I'm going to digest it fully. Not a problem. Thank you so much. And thank you for the, taking the time to do this. Segment 3 Trailer First Impressions, The Silence Something's happening. We can't stay here. Dad. Kicking off our trailer first impressions is the upcoming film for Netflix titled The Silence. The film is directed by John R. Leonetti, written by Carrie and Shane Van Dyke, and it's based on the novel written by Tim Leban. Here is the synopsis. The story of a family struggling to survive in a world terrorized by a deadly primal species who have bred for decades in the pitch darkness of a vast underground cave system, hunting only with their acute hearing as the family seeks refuge in a remote haven where they can wait out the invasion. They start to wonder what kind of world would remain when they're ready to emerge. Now, what? where have we seen a concept like this before? 
it seems like it's getting repetitive these uh films where the creatures uh attack humans uh based on senses we had bird box which is the sight the sense of sight we have this one the sense of sound uh off the top of my head i don't recall the name of the film but i know i've seen this someplace else before probably from even stephen king's the mist also had uh something alluding to this type of uh plot in any event it's a post-apocalyptic film the silence and it is the not the creatures that are the main concern of course is a concern but not the main concern it is always human nature and what happens when there's something that is uh, apocalyptic in nature humans tend to turn on each other and that is the frightening part of any story whether it be zombies or pterodactyls i'm not sure what type of creatures these are it looks like a pterodactyl they look like bats of some sort but the humans are the terror here and i can't wait to see i haven't seen bird box i think the the hype killed it for me i did not watch it i hope that doesn't happen with the silence and i hope that this doesn't generate memes across the internet as bird box did if that's the case i'm not watching it it's just the, the hype itself would, it would kill any type of interest in the film for me but netflix seems to be garnering uh, seems to be generating new content uh faster than we could turn our heads there's always something new whether it be a series or a film based on a novel or based from overseas markets and that's why i in my opinion this streaming platform is one step ahead of hulu and amazon it's always thinking outside the box con- context especially for horror cinema well with the exception of shutter this there's no other platform that really showcases horror such as netflix ah, okay enough of that the silence even though it seems like a regurgitated content i'll give it a watch hopefully it would not be so popular then i won't watch it at all waiting in my opinion the trailer looks fantastic i i it's reminds me of the mist it reminds me of bird box it reminds me so much of these other films the drawing on the senses of humans but at the end of the day it's human versus humans scary stories to tell in the dark this town has told stories about me horrible stories but they don't realize i have scary stories of my own cerebellos tell me a story Closing out our trailer first impressions is the trailer for Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. This film has a slate of writing credits that include 
Dan Hageman, Kevin Hageman, John August, Guillermo del Toro, Marcus Dustin, Patrick Melton. Film is directed by Andre Overdahl, based on the popular, ultra popular. You're not a horror aficionado if you do not know of these books. Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark was written by Alvin Schwartz. The plot to the film reads as follows. A group of teens face their fears in order to save their lives. Now, this, I don't, I'm not sure if it parallels anything to do with the story of Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. I remember these stories quite well. I grew up with these books. I love these books. Classics. These stories, the artwork are so iconic. The film itself, it IMDb does not have a rating. It, it doesn't say if it's rated R or rated PG-13. But all I can say is the creature effects is a lot of CGI involved here. Now, the creatures do look frightening in their own right, of course, tailored to look like some of the illustrations found in Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark the novels, the books. But the too, too much eye candy, in my opinion, way too much eye candy. Of course, you have the frights set up. You have a little story about how these books, how these stories come into play. For example, the spider in the cheek, that is a classic addition to these, the books. Uh, yeah, but it's too much eye candy, too much CGI. I would have favored the film if it used some practical effects. I'm sure practical effects were used, but it's not showcased 100%. Uh, not in comparison to the CGI involvement. Of course, you got to understand, Guillermo del Toro does go out on CGI, but he does implement some practical effects in, in costume design. We could see that in Pan's Labyrinth and Hellboy. But here is just, no. That, that is the downfall for me is just the CGI. I want to see the film. I want to see how the film incorporates the different story elements into one collective plot. We find that these kids stumble upon these books, uh, this uh, outcast in this spooky-looking house. A lot of scary stories are being told about her, but in fact, she's the one that has this book that really taps into your deepest fears and your soul. It, I, where can, where have we seen this before? Uh, it seems familiar, yeah, but. I is I adore the books growing up and that is the only reason why it's pushing me to watch this film. I don't favor the film so much. It's just something about it that it seems too generic, generic to me. Perhaps I'll wait for it to arrive on DVD or home video, but for me to really go to the cinemas and watch it, yeah, not 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 happening.
Thank you for tuning in to another episode of DK Mag Horror Entertainment News Podcast, Season 9, Episode 11. My name is Ken Artuz, your host and founder for DK Mag. Remember, follow DK Mag across all social media platforms at DK Mag. Once again, we are DK Mag. We are not DK. We are not DK Magazine. But we do have a digital edition issue. We jumped into publishing. DK Mag has a digital issue which you can subscribe to for the whole year or purchase an issue for $5. The subscription for the whole year is $20. It's a quarterly publication strictly for your mobile device. Will we jump into print? Let's see how the how this digital model goes. Uh, we are so proud. We have uh, articles. We have links to videos. More expansions on that platform in the upcoming issues but do check it out dk mag across all social media platforms dkmag.com d-e-c-a-y-m-a-g.com <laughs>